professionalism within the EMS industry is paramount. Our patients expect it. Everybody that we run with expects it. Our team members expect it. We can't expect that we are going to be treated as professionals if we're unwilling to do the work and be professional in our actions and in the way that we conduct ourselves. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. Federal Resources Studio. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast, hosted by award-winning journalist Scott Orr. Code 3 features interviews with leading members of the fire service, discussing firefighting strategy, tactics, and other topics you need to know more about. Now, here's Scott. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. Well, today's fire departments ask more of their members than they used to. You're now required to be at least an EMT in most departments, and there are advantages to being a paramedic, too. Today's show is about how to be a good paramedic. It's not just about emergency medicine. My guests today are twin brothers who wrote a book about what it takes to fit into a profession where there is no gray area. The book is Life and Death Matters, Professionalism and Decision Making for the First Responder. The authors are Samuel and Christian Adams. They're firefighter paramedics in Colorado Springs. Together, they have over 20 years' experience in firefighting and emergency medicine. And Sam and Chris Adams join me now. Welcome to Code 3. Hi, Scott. Thanks for uh, having us on the show. Hey, good to be here, Scott. Thank you for the opportunity to sit and chat about a few things. Most books on the subject of EMS are textbooks or something like that, but this one sure isn't. It's informal, isn't it, Sam? It is. It's kind of, we, we kind of wanted to create a piece of work that was not really clinical in nature and was able to be picked up by a reader pretty easily and kind of digest the information pretty quickly and have it be able to be applied to them pretty quick. Chris, my impression of this book is that it was intended for people considering the job but who may not be a medic yet. True? It certainly can be used for that as an intention, but I think this book is really unique. Like you were saying, it's sort of, there's not much, there's nothing really on the market like it because it can be used and incorporated in in all levels of the first responder. It can be used for the EMT getting ready to go to paramedic school. It can be used for the firefighter or just the EMT in general, it's also really valuable for the EMT paramedic preceptor or even the first responder preceptor, whatever role they're playing. It's really a valuable book because it goes into integrating your personal character attributes with decision-making skills. And then so what happens is that it doesn't really matter what level of provider you are, 
it focuses on development of the person, development of the position that you're in. And so it's really valuable to anybody that's in the first responder role, whether or not you're thinking of going to paramedic school or not. How did this book come about? It really started with Sam and I coming together. And when we were precepting people or we continually precept people, we have certain ways that we like to incorporate our practice and mentor others. So when we were talking about certain things that we like to do collectively, we started writing a few things down and then it just sort of blossomed into this book and into this work. It really started out as sort of a note-taking venture and then it really began to turn into something that was much more than that. And Sam, how does your experience as a preceptor influence what you say in this book? Well, I think that the biggest thing is that what I've realized through precepting is that we're really mentoring people and trying to build them up as more holy than a just a clinical decision maker. Now, a lot of preceptors seem to take on a hard-ass role like they believe they're a drill instructor, but you believe a preceptor should be more like a mentor. Yeah, I really do. I think that that kind of environment really doesn't bode well for the student. It doesn't really create an environment in which they're going to become really effective as a medic. And really what that does is it doesn't train them how to be a paramedic individually or a first responder individually. What it does is it trains them what you like and what you don't like. So it becomes much more mother may I medicine and what would so-and-so do in this situation rather than what is my decision-making process? How do I interpret information? How do I uh, apply that information? How do I categorize and prioritize information in order to act decisively? And I think each person kind of has their own way of doing that. And if you are take a hard line with people and say, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. This is wrong. Do it this way. This is the way I do it. What you're really teaching people is not medicine and you're not teaching people to run calls and act decisively in critical situations. You're teaching them what you would do. And so then as you go through the training with those people, they never really develop their own personal way of doing things and they don't develop their own personal decision-making process and their own methodical approach to patient care. And they always revert back to what their what has been drilled into them by their preceptor. And I think that really the other thing with that is that what that tells me is that the preceptor isn't really confident in their own skills. I think that it shows a lack of, of humility that other people do things differently and they can come to the same conclusions and get the and and still provide the same high level standard of care to the patient and i think that it shows that they're not flexible in their treatment plan and in their practice as a pre-hospital provider because they're so they pigeonhole their student or whoever they're training into a corner into making them do it that way. And it's just not beneficial for the student at all. And the other thing with that also is that you as the you as the instructor, you'll never learn anything. You're not open to new information yourself. So you're not gonna grow, you're not gonna develop, you're not gonna learn how to do new things. 
because the reality is, is that everybody can teach you something. And whether they're a veteran medic or a brand new paramedic, everybody can teach you something and give you a new insight into what it is that you're doing. And so if you make people do things certain way or you take a real hard line with people, it doesn't really develop them. You know, and one of the other things I think is that what Chris and I try to do is to provide an environment where we're trying to mentor people rather than create a environment where people just have to answer questions about what a 12 lead looks like. And of course, we verify those things and make sure people do understand that because it's it's vitally important. But I think that as a first responder, you develop much more quickly if you take a more holistic approach towards mentoring people and developing them and developing their character, developing their decision-making so that they understand and then they can act more independently. And I think the whole goal to precepting is trying to get someone from, you know, point A would be school and point B would be them working independently and on their own. And I think that if you take hard lines with people as a preceptor, what happens is that when that person actually does start to function by themselves, they're drowning. They're, they'll find out that they're just going to be drowning because they, they haven't been taught how to make decisions. They haven't been taught a methodical approach to patient care, and they haven't been taught that they need to reinforce their personal character so that they can develop these concepts a little bit more easily and and conscientiously. They need to conscientiously try to develop themselves. And like Chris and I talk about a lot is that what that does is it drives you to be a better clinician because you understand, hey, I need to read I need to read my cardiology so that I understand what these 12 leads look like. I understand what a left bundle branch block is. I understand what all my heart blocks are and what the treatment plans are and what the clinical indications are. It drives you to do that more effectively and with more purpose than if you're just going through the motions. So we kind of try to just mentor people. And so as a preceptor, it has really helped develop that within myself, for sure. Chris, why did you guys decide to emphasize professionalism? Do you feel there's a lack of it in EMS? No, I don't think that there's necessarily a lack of it today. But I think that in the EMS world in general, there's this need to be thought of as a professional. And so I think the best way to do that is to begin with yourself to begin conducting yourself like a professional. You see lots of things and you hear lots of things out there that are very unprofessional. And so professionalism within the EMS industry is paramount. Our patients expect it. Everybody that we run with expects it. Our team members expect it. So professionalism is something that begins with the person and it begins with the individual provider. We can't expect that we are going to be treated as professionals if we're unwilling to do the work and be professional in our actions and in the way that we conduct ourselves. The thing that we talk about in Life and Death Matters, it begins with professionalism and the development of the individual provider and the character attributes that are embodied within that provider. And the first thing that we talk about is humility. 
And humility is extremely important when it becomes, when we speak about being a professional, because with the lack of humility, you're never going to reach the top. You're never going to reach the pinnacle of your practice because you never get to the point where you understand that there's always something else you can learn. There's always a different way to do things. There's always somebody else that can teach you things. And so if you don't have any humility, you walk around arrogantly thinking that you know all and see all, but you really don't. And so humility is extremely important to the professional. And it also, the funny thing about humility is that humility, once you've reached the top, once you've reached the pinnacle of your practice, it allows you to stay up on the top of your practice. It allows you to, and forces you to be an ever vigilant provider because what happens is once you become that great provider and you are on the top, it forces you to recognize that there's other things to learn, new medicine coming out, new evidence-based practices, and new procedures that are happening. And so if that humility forces you to learn those things and forces you to stay on top of your skills, stay on top of your knowledge, and that is the first mandate of a professional. And so we talk about professionalism in Life and Death Matters because it's extremely important to what we do in EMS and who we're providing care to. And then we go into the decision-making aspects of it because first responders are decision makers. We have to understand that every call we go on and every time we go out the door, there's so many decisions that are being made and so many critical decisions that have to be taken into consideration that you have to develop a process by which you make decisions. You have to develop an approach towards patient care and approach towards the scenes that you're running on. And if you're not methodical about that, it's going to be, you're going to be very confused about how it is that you make decisions. Or when you're approached with a difficult decision, you're going to have no way by which to make that decision because you're not going to have any confidence. And this is what is so unique about our book, Life and Death Matters, is that it's an integrated approach towards pre-hospital emergency medicine. We integrate the personal character attributes with the decision-making principles, and then those two things integrated with the medical knowledge creates such a well-rounded and successful first responder or paramedic that is invaluable. And there's really such a need for this book in the EMS community because it goes further than just the clinical practices. It talks about the professionalism and decision-making. So that was one of the big catalysts for us writing the book in the first place was a kind of a need to address the the professional attributes of a first responder what it is that we embody how it is we conduct ourselves so that we can go out the door and when you integrate that those personal character attributes with your pre-hospital practice you become extremely confident because it drives you towards humility drives you towards being a better responder learning more learning more medicine, learning more skills and better ways of doing things. So I think that's one of the biggest reasons why we decided to write this book. I'll be back with more right after this. Federal Resources is a mission-critical solutions provider with only one goal, to empower and prepare the first responder for any threat, at home or abroad, 
that they are called on to respond to. Your mission is to protect and defend. Our mission is to make sure you're equipped with the knowledge and training on response techniques to current threats. We'll make sure you know the latest innovations in technology to ensure mission success every time. You look out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Learn more at federalresources.com. Speaking of decision-making, there's a chapter titled, There is No Gray. It includes this quote, Everything you encounter in EMS as a paramedic is black and white. There is no gray only in decision. And then you say looking at situations and believing that things are gray is really just an expression of indecision. You just lack the decisiveness to act. That's a pretty strong statement. How did you come to that conclusion? You know, that's one thing that is kind of pervasive in EMS, really, is this idea that there's gray situations. And we've talked about this before, that well, we're, we're not saying that there aren't difficult decisions that need to be made, but what we're saying is that you need to make a decision. You don't need to purposely convolute situations so that you are unaccountable for your actions. And what we're saying is that a perceived gray situation is really a demonstration of your lack of accountability. You don't really want to be accountable for what happens, so you're looking for the back door. You're looking for another way out. You're looking for somebody else to put the blame on. You're looking for somebody else to carry the liability. You're looking for somebody else to take on the the action of deciding what to do with a specific person or patient. And that makes it gray to people that don't know what they're doing. And so they lack the willingness and they lack the conviction to take accountability for their actions. And so they chalk it up to a gray situation and they say, oh, this is kind of a gray situation. I, I could go, I don't really know what to do. These patients are always hard. And it just demonstrates that they're indecisive and that they lack the willingness to take accountability. And there's a couple other factors in there also. They're also concerned about what their peers are gonna say. That drives a lot of gray situations. Is they're concerned about what their buddy back at the firehouse is gonna say about it. And so they, are unwilling to act because they don't want to make a wrong decision instead of making a decision, owning it, and then moving forward. So that's really what we mean by there is no gray. Because obviously in EMS and in the first responder world, there's critical decisions that have to be made all the time. And there's difficult decisions to make. And there's ones that you have to kind of think about and make sure that you're making a good decision. But at the end of the day, you have to act decisively and then own the decision that you're making instead of chalking it up to a gray situation, walking in the front door and looking for the back door and looking for a way out. It's really not a good way to practice pre-hospital medicine because you're never going to act confidently. You're going to be in a, you're going to be always worried about what the situation is that you're going into. And if you go into every situation with the preconceived notion that you are going to take responsibility for what happens, everything is going to turn out much easier for you and much better, and you're going to provide better patient care. And that's the ultimate goal, is to provide better patient care for all for the communities that we serve. So I think that the chapter, There Is No Gray, is that's definitely my favorite chapter in the book. 
Uh, there's really, and there's really a need for it. I know it's only a few pages long, but I think there's a real need to address that kind of mentality in uh, EMS. And I agree. I agree, Scott. This is Chris, and I, I completely agree with Sam. One of the things that we talk about is your willingness to make a decision becomes easier when you understand that you will be accountable for that decision that you make. It kind of liberates the paramedic to make that decision. So once you understand that there really is no gray, there's only indecision, you understand that that is an integral part to your practice. And when you integrate that sort of philosophy and approach towards patient care with the other personal character attributes of humility, integrity, compassion, and accountability, those sorts of things, it drives you to become a better clinician because it forces you to, it becomes personal. Now, all of a sudden, the decisions that you make aren't gray. They're a reflection of your understanding of what's going on. They're a reflection of your understanding and willingness to take accountability. They're a reflection of the diligent study and preparation that you've personally invested in yourself. They're a reflection of the amount of time that you've put into developing your team. It's a reflection of a lot of different things. And so when you understand that there is no gray, there's only indecision, you integrate that with other aspects of the personal character development, then it, once it becomes personal, then the decisions are extremely important and everything that you do has purpose. And that's one of the things we talk about is that one of the best quotes Sam has is that intention is decisiveness with purpose. And there's this understanding that we do things with intention. Everything we do is with intention. It's not gray. You're intently deciding to do something. You're purposefully acting. You're acting with purpose and you're trying to accomplish something without there being this gray situation there's intent behind everything that you do and it all comes back to self-discipline and your personal preparation which is why this book is so crucial to the first responder because it gives them the tools for personal development it gives them the tools to become a decision maker so anyhow that's there is no gray in a nutshell all right, we'll leave it there, boys. The book is Life and Death Matters, Professionalism and Decision-Making for the First Responder. Sam and Chris Adams, thanks for being with me today on Code 3. Thanks a lot, Scott. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for the opportunity. It's a really great time. And we put some more information about how to get a hold of the Adams book on our website at code3podcast.com slash professional. Check it out. Time again for the trivia question. If your trauma patient is complaining of pain in the LUQ and is showing signs of hypoperfusion, what might you suspect? I'll have the answer right after this. If you like Code 3, you'll love the Code 3 Bull Session. It's more discussion with our guests on any topic. Sometimes it's serious. Sometimes it's not so serious, but it's only available to patrons of Code 3. Find out what you've been missing. Go to Code3Podcast.com support. Pledge just $10 a month to support Code 3, and you'll get immediate access to all the bull sessions in our library and future interviews as we post them. Become a patron today, support the show, and get access to the Code 3 bull sessions. Here's the trivia answer. 
If your trauma patient is complaining of pain in the LUQ and is showing signs of hypoperfusion, the patient may have a ruptured spleen. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. If you have comments, just email me, scott at code3podcast.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more. Hope you'll join me. I'm Scott Orrin. Until then, stay safe. Code 3 is made possible through the generous support of Federal Resources. Visit them at federalresources.com. This show is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To contact us, get more information on today's show, or to subscribe to the podcast, go to Code3Podcast.com.